thing to be in the house of the Lord, isn't it? Uh, thank you, everybody, for that, that wonderful praise music. It was just in, inspiring. It's great to see. Um, we're going to be in Mark today. We're going to be back in Mark and chapter 2. And we're going to start in uh, verse 13. And here we're going to see that in Christ, all things are different. Absolutely all things are different in Christ. Isn't it true? The world just doesn't understand. The world doesn't understand why we would want to get together on a Sunday morning, get up early, and gather as a body of believers. They don't, they don't understand what we're doing. And they, they didn't understand Jesus in His day. And uh, just to set the stage here for what's going on in this passage in Mark 2, when we see the very first part of what we're going to see is uh, Jesus is calling Matthew, one of his apostles. And he is doing this as he goes. So it starts when he went out again beside the sea and all the crowd was coming to him, he was teaching them. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. And as he reclined at the table in his house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. And the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw that he's eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, why does he eat with the tax collectors and sinners? And when Jesus heard it, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. And so you would think, well, maybe that's the end of it. But no, they go on. They say, now John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting. And the people said to him, why do John's disciples and their disciples of the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus said to them, well, can the wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. The days will come when the bridegroom's taken away from them, and then they'll fast in that day. No one sews a piece of unshrunk cloth in an old garment. If he does, the patch tears away from it, and the new from the old and worse tear is made. And no one puts new wine in an old wineskin. If he does, the wine will burst the skins, and the wine is destroyed, and so are the skins. But the new wine is for fresh wineskins. And, and here is the the end of that discussion, and we go on and see the next part says one Sabbath he was going through, and, and we're going to, if I get to have time, we're going to get to that part too, because I think it, it fits with this, that in Christ all things are different. But you would expect there would be some follow-on discussion. Well, in Mark, we don't have the reason why there's no follow-on discussion, but we see it in Matthew chapter 9. It's the same exact passage uh, told from Matthew's perspective. And what we see there is that immediately while he's telling them this, while he's giving them this answer about new wine and old wine skins, one of the leaders comes in and says, hey, my daughter's died. Come touch her and she'll be healed. And Jesus gets up and leaves. So what we see in Mark is the discussion and then really kind of is like, well, that didn't really seem like the end of a discussion, did it? There was no resolution. Well, the reason is we find in Matthew Somebody came in and said, hey, my daughter's dying. And Jesus like, okay, let's go. End of discussion. 
And sometimes life is like that. We, we get cut off in the end of our discussion when we're talking to anybody or anything about stuff. It gets cut off. But Jesus here, we see that all that was needed was told, but it didn't give a real good resolution. And, and in Mark, he goes on and says, okay, and what I think is a resolution or a final set of this about how in Christ everything is different. It talks about a Sabbath day. They were going through the grain fields. And as they made their way, the disciples began to pluck heads of grain. And the Pharisees were saying to him, look, why are they doing what's not lawful on the Sabbath? And he said to them, have you never read what David did when he was in need and hungry? And those who were with him? How he entered the house of God in the time of Abiathar the high priest and ate the bread of the presence, which isn't lawful for any but the priest to eat, and also gave it to those who were with him. And he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. And Lord willing, I'll get through the end of that today. But I wanted to say that in Christ, all things are different. And we see that all things are different first in relationships. Now, um, to this point in Mark, so we're going back to the beginning. In this point, Jesus had called apostles who were regular blue-collar working folks who, while they might not have been, you know, the, the upper crust or the most influential, were solid members of society. They're hard-working people who haven't done anything really, you know, everyone sins, but they weren't singled out as sinners. And at this point now, we find that Jesus is walking along with those disciples and he meets a guy who is the equivalent of a traitor, So he's the guy, there's an occupying army who sits there, and this is the guy collecting money from everybody for this occupying army. They're like, enemy. He's the guy that everybody thinks of as an enemy. And he's called Levi, the son of Alphaeus here. But in Matthew, you find out it is Matthew, the guy who wrote the gospel of Matthew. So he's, he is the outcast. He is the traitor. And we see that Jesus says to him, as he's going along, you, follow me. And they walk to his house and have dinner. Now, the Pharisees, just like people today, they didn't have any problem with Jesus teaching sinners. They didn't have any problem with Jesus standing out on the corner and going, repent. All of you people who are stealing stuff, repent. All of you drunkards, repent. All of you people who are on doing whatever sinful acts, all of you people who are cheating, repent. They didn't have any problem with that. But they had a problem when he went the step further. And he said, hey, you need to repent. And they said, okay. And they're following him and they're learning from him. And he goes and sits down and has fellowship with them. Then they're like, whoa, whoa, wait a second. We don't go sit down with those people. We don't acknowledge them as as equals. We don't acknowledge them as, as people we want to have in our home. You can preach to them out there, but don't invite them back to church. Don't invite them back to your house. They're, keep them, you know, they're, those type of people. And if they come, great. But then in those, in those days, what you had to do for the Pharisees is if you repented of your sins, then the next thing is then you had to do all kinds of works to prove that you're, you're really, really sorry 
And then they would accept you in at arm's distance. But Jesus says, no, that's, that's not the way things are with me. Things are different now. He says, come, follow me. And he takes Matthew, one of those people, and he says, you're going to be my, one of my apostles. He's going to be one of his disciples, one of the guys who's sitting with him all the time. And he says to the others, come on in. And it isn't though, as though these are people who are actively rebelling against God and living lives of sin. These are people who are seeking Christ. If you, if you notice with me, come back and look at verse 15. As he reclined at the table in his house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. Here's the key. For there were many who followed him. So this is people who've made mistakes in their lives. They have sinned. They have lived a life opposite to God. And now they're coming because they want to hear. They recognize the words of life. They recognize that they need Jesus. They recognize what their life needs to be. And they've come. And they are there. And Jesus welcomes them in. And embraces them. He doesn't hold them out as unworthy. He doesn't keep them at an arm's distance. He doesn't keep from associating with those people who want to follow him. He doesn't say, you know, the life you live doesn't make you worthy to sit with me. He brings them in. And the Pharisees don't like that. Because that goes against everything. You have to earn everything. They don't understand that everything's different now in Christ. Everything is different. He changes our relationships. He changes the relationship. He brings us into the family of God and he embraces us as a member of the family. He sits down and has fellowship with us. He is with us. He doesn't keep them at an arm's distance. And the Pharisees are like, I, I don't get it. And but they couldn't really argue with him with his logic there, could they? They said, okay, um, yeah, and his, his idea is, look, you don't go to the doctor unless you need a, unless you're sick. And the doctor doesn't just keep you out in the next room and say, okay, you're sick? Um, do this. And he keeps you there. No, the doctor brings you in. He gets up close and personal. He examines you. He figures out what's wrong with you. And then he works with you to get you well. And we've seen, in the case of many doctors, even today, that can be to their own detriment. The doctors and nurses can treat patients and they can get the diseases that they're trying to heal. They can get hurt by serving. And Jesus is like, come on in. This is how it is in a relationship. This is how it is when people come to God. You don't hold them off at a distance. You bring them in. There's a new way of doing things. And so the Pharisees say, okay, okay, fine. Well, then you're just not, you're not keeping with what is expected. They said, well, why, why don't your disciples fast? Why don't the people who follow you fast? And Jesus says, well, if you had the bridegroom with you, you don't fast. It's once again, they just don't get it. What's going on here? These people who have come to Christ, if they're believers in Christ, 2 Corinthians 5.17 says they are a new creation. They've been made new. And now there's neither circumcised, 
Circumcision means nothing, Galatians 6.15, or uncircumcision is meaningless. Basically, you're brought in and you're made new, and now what we find is that their attitudes are different. They are made into a new creation, and they don't see things the same way. And the Pharisees, they, they don't have that. They're not born again. They don't see, they're seeing it from the outside, and they're like, well, why aren't you guys fasting? Well, well if you were saved, wouldn't you be, fa- wouldn't you be happy? And I think of, you know, if I'd seen a, a family, just a, a normal, I'm not talking rich folks, but a normal everyday family, and they have a child who's seven years old, and they're for their birthday party, all the family, all the extended family, everybody, they all are taking a trip to Disney World. They're going to go on a Disney cruise. They're going to stay at the, the whole whole shebang, the whole family, like 15, 20 people. They're going to all celebrate and they're all having this grand celebration for this seven-year-old for his birthday. And you look at it from the outside and say, that is extravagant. And that doesn't seem to be how normal people act until you find out that a year ago, the child was given a diagnosis of terminal cancer. Nobody thought they'd see that seventh birthday. Nobody thought they'd live, but then they overcame it. And the whole family wants to celebrate. How could we not celebrate? He made it to one more birthday. And we're going to all go celebrate together now. We might not have him here for long, but we're going to have him. We're going to have a celebration all together. And then it makes more sense, doesn't it? Well, you've got the disciples, you've got the followers of Jesus who are looking at Jesus and they're saying, we have the Savior right here with us, but not for long. We need to celebrate. We need to rejoice in this. We need to gather together. We need to see that he's, he's going away and we know that he's going to rise again and he'll be with us again someday and that's our hope but for them they physically had him with them and if jesus was here with us today how much would we celebrate would we be fasting and praying or would we be celebrating with jesus we should be celebrating and we would be celebrating and jesus says look it is like that i'm the bridegroom and they've got me there with them When I'm gone, they'll fast. But until then, how how can you fast? How can you fast when it's time to be celebrating having the Savior of the world with you? And then, so we see that they just don't get it. Fasting was always for a reason, and it's not just for show. So, what were the fasting that God had given them? Fasting had been for a specific purpose, that you're praying for specifically something to happen, mainly for the salvation of Israel. Historically, had been what they had fasted for. Whether it's in a short-term individual thing or for a long-term thing, well, Jesus is the salvation of Israel, and he's here, and he was there. And they didn't get it. They didn't get that in Christ... All things are different. So they didn't get that Jesus changes relationships, that he changes how we interact with one another and how we interact with God. They didn't get 
that he changes attitudes that we can rejoice even when things around us seem in total turmoil. Even when we're facing the coronavirus and loss of jobs and loss of freedoms and anything else that's going on, we can still rejoice because Christ changes our attitudes. We're focused on the bridegroom. And he gives us the Holy Spirit that we have now that lives in us that we can still have joy in the midst of everything that's going on. What else did they not understand? He didn't, they didn't understand why we do the religious things. Jesus changed the religious norms. And this is where we find in the Sabbath, when they criticize him for having his disciples eat in the Sabbath day, he's like, you don't get it. All these things have been given to you for you. Not so that you can earn your way to God. Not so that you can prove something to God. But all of the religious things that we do, the Sabbath, are given not to meet God's requirements, but for our good. Now, we know literally that Christ is our Sabbath rest. And in the New Testament, every one of the Old Testament commandments, every one of the Ten Commandments, except the Sabbath, is repeated for us. So, so all those things that God said, this is sin if you break this thing. Every single one of them is repeated in the New Testament, except the Sabbath, because the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. And God says, look, yes, that was a sign of the covenant that I gave to my people, but Jesus Christ is your Sabbath rest. He is what you need. And so that's the one of the Ten Commandments that's not repeated in the New Testament. So you don't have to have the argument with somebody, well, that's the Old Testament, and that's the Ten Commandments. Well, every one of them, if you look in the New Testament, is repeated except the Sabbath. And we're not meeting on the Sabbath, are we? We're, we're meeting on Sunday. We celebrate the Lord's rising from the dead on the first day of the week and his living forever by meeting on Sunday mornings. The Sabbath for the Jews is Saturday and actually Friday night because their days started when the sun goes down. So Friday night, that's when you still see Orthodox Jews meeting well, that's the Sabbath. Well, we don't do that anymore. Why? Well, because Jesus is our Sabbath rest. Jesus is why we can have rest and peace from all of our struggles, all of our strife. But even in coming together in church, we know that in Hebrews 10, 25, it says, don't give up meeting together. And that's what Jesus is saying here in Mark 2, is that that commandment, not to give up meeting together, as well as anything else that Jesus tells us to do, is not so that we can satisfy God. It's not so that we can meet God's requirements so much as it is so that we can get the benefit. He looks at us and he says, okay, all of this that I'm telling you to do, it's the best. It's the best way to live. It's the best way to do things. It's the best. And all the things that I want you to do together as a body of believers is because that's what brings me the most glory. And that's what brings you the greatest reward. 
So when we, when we see in John, uh, so if you want to turn with me to John 14, it's in John 14, 15, I just want you to see that he says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Okay? It's an if-then statement. So if you love me, then you'll keep my commandments. And I don't want to go through and analyze all of John 14, but let me just tell you that I have before, and, and when you look at it, what are the commandments that Jesus gives? In John 14, 11, it says, believe that I am in the Father and the Father's in me. You have to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. You have to believe that he came down, that he, God, came down to the earth, lived a perfect life that we could never live, died in your place and paid the punishment for your sin to satisfy God's righteous requirements. You have to believe that. And then trust in Him. It, it says then, what's the second part of that? Abide in me. John 15, 4 says, abide in me. So there's the next commandment in this whole, in that section where Jesus is saying, okay, if you love me, obey my commandments. First, believe. Then abide in me. Have a relationship where you are relying on the Lord Jesus Christ, where you are sucking your life. You are taking your life from him. You are drawing from his vine for everything that you are spiritually. Abide in him. That's the second command. What's the third John 15, 4, 12, this is my command that you love one another as I have loved you. I don't ever do that perfectly. And it doesn't say you're going to be saved if you obey these commands. It says, if you love me, this is what you need to do. And it says, love one another as I have loved you. How is that? What kind of love is there? You know, Greek has several different words for love. What is the way that Christ loved us? It's not with a, a passion, though he had passionate love for us. But mainly and first and foremost, he loved us with a self-sacrificing love. A love that lays down its life for the good of others without thought for your own good. And that's the way that the body of believers should be toward one another. We should be laying down our lives, not just for my kids or my wife, but I should be willing to lay down my life for my brother, my sister in Christ. We should be willing to sacrifice our time, our energy, our our money, our possessions, and even relationships that we might have that aren't helpful for the others. That's what Jesus asks. Not much, just everything. He says, okay, 
I'll give you all of me and I want all of you. I want you to draw your life from me and I want you to love all the believers and I want you to go out and spread the gospel to all the world because they need it and if they don't get it, they're going to hell. And guess what? They're going to hate you for doing it. So be ready to sacrifice any thought of being the popular one. Give up any thought of being the person who everybody wants to be around because if you're sharing the gospel, only those who, are, who Christ has chosen who are coming to him, the gospel is the fragrance of death to those who are dying. It is the stench of death. And has anyone smelled a dead animal? It is not something you want to stick around. Especially for me, the dead skunks, no way. Okay, but death has its own unique smell and we are repulsed by it. So don't be surprised when you share the gospel and people are like, I want away from you. Or when you live your life and you proclaim Christ in all you're doing and when people ask you about how you're, how's your day going, oh, you know what? The Lord has been teaching me about loving other people and uh, the gospel of Mark and gospel of John, and they're like, ooh, death. People who are not saved are not going to be open to that. And neither were the Pharisees. They didn't get it. They didn't get that there's new relationships. They didn't get that there's a new attitude and there's new life. And they didn't get that church is not about pleasing God with what you're doing. It's not about earning points to go to heaven. It's about you being able to come and connect with God through His Word, through prayer and praise. And it's about you coming together with the body of believers to sharpen one another and encourage one another stand with one another and help one another and lift one another up. That's what Jesus' commands are doing. His yoke is easy and his burden is light. That's what he says. And he'll take your yoke. He'll take all that sin, all that heaviness, and he'll put it on his shoulders. And he says, take my yoke. What's, my, what's his yoke? Love. Love him. Love the church. And reach out and love others. And we have in the... Uh, so I don't want you to think that just Jesus' words are, are God's words. Because in John 16, 12, the last thing he says, the Holy Spirit will guide you into all truth. And he says, I'm going to leave you the Holy Spirit who will guide you into all truth. And that's where we get all these epistles, right? All the epistles are additional knowledge that the that God granted to the apostles, that they related to us so that we can live life in a way that is best for us and most glorifying to God. And so we get all the epistles that follow on that. And Jesus said it would happen. And it did happen. And so now we are the beneficiaries of these men's love and sacrifice. And we can be confident that no matter what, 
Jesus is going to bring us in. Remember, the Pharisees in Christ, all things are different. The Pharisees didn't understand it. Sinners who want to follow Jesus should be embraced. We need to be unafraid to embrace people who want to come to Christ. We need to share the love of Christ and be unafraid to embrace them like Jesus did. That's loving like Christ did. We need to rejoice with fellow believers. Rejoice when people come to the kingdom of God like Jesus did. That is loving like he did. And we need to continue with the things that he set out for us. Sacrificing our time and our energy and our love and our everything for his glory because that's what he did for us. It's all about a response. It's all about a relationship. And Jesus was trying to show these Pharisees and trying to show people here in in Mark 2, he was trying to show them something that they just didn't get. The world's not going to get you. The world's not going to understand why you do what you do. They might say they understand. The Pharisees thought they understood why Jesus was teaching these people and walking all along with them, but then he does the unthinkable and has a meal with them. The world's going to see you and see you being nice to other people and see you working with other people and seeing you doing these things, and then they're going to be like, why did you have that person over to your house? Why are you, you know, what? what? Why are they, why are you? They don't get it. They're not going to get it unless God moves their heart and mind. So my, summation here is that in Christ all things are different. First off, it starts with a difference in your heart. If you have not come to know the Lord Jesus, I would ask you, I realize that Jesus came and died, lived the perfect life, died for you and rose again from the dead so that you could be saved. Come to him. He'll love you just like he loved all these people. He will embrace you and bring you in. And yes, life will be different. But life will be good. We can rejoice in Christ. No matter what's going on around us. So believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Accept that you're a sinner. Believe in him and trust him. Commit your life to him. To living for him. And we could be together forever. Won't that be great? I'll shed this, this, and have a perfect body. And I'll shed my sinful nature and have perfect thoughts and perfect praise and perfect love for Christ when I get to heaven. Let's pray with me. Lord, thank you for your word. It is truly remarkable that all things are different in you. It is truly amazing that you would give your perfect life in exchange for the sin that I have inside me, in exchange for the things that are 
boiling inside me still. But Lord, that you would forgive me and that you would make me a new creation every day. Lord, thank you. Thank you for your love and your patience, your mercy and kindness. Lord, as we sing, help us to focus our hearts on you, to glorify you with all that we are. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.